Revelation chapter 3. Continuing our study in the book of the Revelation and uh, Sunday morning services, uh, messages on the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I want to call to your mind to remember that there were actually seven churches in Asia Minor, but these churches, what Jesus said to these churches, speaks to every church and every age. This morning, I want to talk to you about the sad story of Sardis. Look with me in Revelation 3. We'll begin reading verse 1. And under the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, of course, we know that's speaking of Jesus. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, I pray that we would have an ear this morning, that we would hear what you're saying to us, that we would uh, grasp the, the great truths that are being shared here. I pray we would be here in the moment, we would not be distracted. But Father, we would have this great desire and urgency to hear from you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Now folks, of the seven churches that John penned the words to here in the book of the Revelation, there are two churches, there was absolutely nothing positive said. I mean, they had no commending qualities whatsoever. And one of these churches is the church in Sardis. It was a dead church in a dead city. Now, let me ask you, have you ever gone to a church and you come away feeling like, wow, that church was dead? You ever done that? Or have you ever had somebody tell you that church is a dead church? Well, I want you to understand something. It's one thing for you to think a church is dead. It's one thing for me to think that a church is dead. But, friend, it's a totally different matter when the Lord Jesus Christ says that church is dead. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> There were three kinds of churches in that church building at Sardis, just like there are three kinds of churches in any church building around the world today. There's the church that they think they are. There's the church that others think they are. Then there's the church that Jesus knows that they are. And when Jesus calls a church dead, I'm going to tell you, friend, you might as well call the coroner, get the toe tag, make funeral arrangements, because that church is truly dead. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus knows the heart. He knows the mind. He knows the purpose. He knows the reason of every church. And he said, I'm telling you, the church is dead. Now, the church at Sardis, it wasn't a weak church, folks, that needed restoration. It wasn't a sick church that needed rejuvenation. It was a dead church, and it needed resurrection. Society had written the word great over the door of the church at Sardis. Uh, the community, and I'm sure the denomination and association, had written the word outstanding over the door of the church at Sardis. But Jesus had written the word Ichabod over the door at Sardis. Because it was dead, it was dead because Ichabod, the glory and the Spirit of God, had departed. 
Now, this church at Sardis really had two problems. Number one, it was not the church the world thought it was, but greater than that, friend, it wasn't the church that God wanted it to be. Dr. Vance Havner once said this, and I quote, Every ministry begins with a man. It then becomes a movement. It then becomes a machine, simply going through the motions. But then it becomes a monument, just a showpiece. Well, this church at Sardis was in the monument stage of existence. They were living on past reputation, but they were just a shadow of their former self. The first thing I want you to see, notice in verse 1, the reputation of the church. Notice what Jesus said. I know thy works, that thou hast the name that thou livest. So the church at Sardis, they had acquired quite a name. They had a tremendous reputation. It was well respected in the city. It was well known by the other six churches in Asia Minor for its vitality, for its vigor. And I'm convinced if you'd have lived in Pergamos or, or uh, uh, if you'd have lived in Thyatira or Ephesus and said, you know what, my business, I've got to move to Sardis. Can you recommend a good church in Sardis? Anybody who was anybody would have said, oh yeah, First Baptist Church is Sardis. you got to go there. I mean, that church is just brimming with life and activity. And if you had moved to Sardis, <clears throat> anybody and everybody would have told you, if you're looking for a good church, you need to check out First Baptist Sardis. I hear things are, are really happening. All I hear about that church is it's a great church. Now think about this. From the outside, it would appear that way. I mean, this church at Sardis, there's no mention made about false doctrine taking root in the fellowship. There's no mention made about anybody preaching the doctrine of Balaam or that there were any Nicolaitans in this church like at Thyatira. And anybody who was somebody would be a member of this church in Sardis. I mean, doctors went to this church. Lawyers, professionals, business people, politicians would join this church. And from every appearance, folks, it was, I'm sure, a tremendously devoted and dynamic fellowship. I'm sure the church at Sardis, they had money to spend and manpower to burn. They had worked hard in making a name for themselves. And Jesus says, I know that you have a name that you're alive. Folks, we've got to be careful about names and labels, don't we? Names and labels don't necessarily tell you the truth. <clears throat> I'm reminded of a little church I heard about, a little country church. One of their members had passed away, is pretty wealthy, and they left $50,000 to the church. Now, this little church, the name was Rattlesnake Ridge Baptist Church. The church was built up on a little ridge, we'll say out in western Texas, and this ridge was known to be crawling with rattlesnakes. But they built a church up there, Rattlesnake Ridge Baptist Church. Now, the church took this $50,000 and they put in colonial pews. They put red, lush carpet in the church. They hung chandeliers from the ceiling. They put a colonial porch out in front of the church with four beautiful stately columns. Uh, and then they, they finished all this remodel work, made the church beautiful by all appearances. And then they said, you know what, we're such a dignified church now, we can no longer be called Rattlesnake Ridge Baptist Church. So they changed the name of the church. Now the rattlesnakes were still there. But instead of Rattlesnake Ridge Baptist Church, now they were the first Baptist church of Serpent Heights. You hear me? Friend, listen to me. You cannot always rely on a name to tell you the truth about the situation. Now, I'm sure the church at Sardis, I'm sure they were straight as an arrow. I'm sure they were beautiful by all appearances. I'm sure to the outside world they had everything going on. I'm sure in this church at Sardis, every I was dotted, every T was crossed, and on the outside looked like a marvelous church. 
But the sad thing was, the church at Sardis, they began to believe their own press clippings. Now, I want you to see the second thing. We've seen the reputation of the church. Now, I want you to see the reality of the church. And I want you to know this, folks. I can assure you, Jesus has never been much impressed with reputation. He looked to the inside of this church, and what was his verdict? Well, look at verse 1. He said, you're dead. Actually, he says, thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Jesus said the reality was far different than the reputation. Jesus said, I know what everybody says about you. I know the reputation that you have, that you're alive, that things are great. But in reality, Jesus says, you're dead. Now, the great physician had taken the pulse of this church and he couldn't find a heartbeat. The church at Sardis was suffering from rigor mortis. It was a church that had reputation without reality. It had form without force. It had function without unction. It was all smoke and mirrors, just a facade. The reality was, folks, the church at Sardis, it was like many churches we have in America today. It was a spiritual graveyard. The pulpit was a coffin. The pews were simply open graves. And the building was a mausoleum. The church at Sardis was like a, a rotten tooth. Alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. As a matter of fact, I believe the church at Sardis, you could have called it the First Baptist Church of the Pharisee. Because it had been the kind of church that the Pharisee would love to attend. Because, folks, for the most part, dead people go to dead churches. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, beginning at verse 27? He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed sepulchers or tombs. You indeed appear beautiful outward on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, folks, the Pharisee would have been right at home at a dead church. Now, what are the characteristics of a dead church? Well, I don't want to shock you, but the characteristics of a dead church are the characteristics of a dead man. Number one, a dead church is a lifeless church. Now, think about this. A dead man, folks, is a man from whom the human spirit has departed. Well, likewise, a dead church is a church from whom the Holy Spirit has departed. Now, you do understand, I hope you do, that it's the Holy Spirit that gives life to any church. It's not the programs. It's not the pastor. It's not the preaching or the singing or the budget or the service. It's the Holy Spirit that gives life to the church. Now, let's be honest about this, folks. All across our land today, it's filled with spiritual mausoleums. It's filled with spiritual monuments. There are churches filled with dead men standing behind dead pulpits preaching to dead people a dead message. Say, preacher, you're harsh. No, I'm being honest. I remember a preacher writing to a friend of his. He said, uh, hey, buddy, how's, the, how's things going at your church? His friend wrote back and he said, pray for us, man. He said, the blower is on, but the fire is out. Now, folks, I want to tell you, there's a lot of churches I know like that today. They got the blower going full blast, but the fire's out. They're all mechanical motion and no heat. They're all, all show and no go. Well, the church at Sardis was this kind of church. It was a lifeless church. It was a church where the Holy Spirit had departed the premises. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ stuck his head in the door of the church at Sardis, and the stench of death nauseated him. I heard about a man who went to one of these dead churches one time. You know, one of these churches where a amen or a hallelujah is $100 a pop. 
He walked in off street. He was visiting the town. And this man loved Jesus. But this church, it was one of these dead churches. There was a, a preacher up behind the pulpit preaching some dead, dry, dusty sermon. The folks out in the congregation looked like they were auditioning for a Salmonex commercial. You know what I mean? And this guy that was visiting, looking for a church to worship in, he come in off the streets. And this guy loved Jesus. I mean, he was happy. He loved Jesus. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he come in, come down about halfway to the front and sit down. Well, the preacher finally said something that was worth amening. And he said something the guy agreed with. The guy said, well, amen. Well, it so shocked the congregation, woke a few of them up. And it shocked the preacher that he lost his place. He had to start over again. Well, he said something else a few minutes later that this guy agreed with. And the guy said, well, hallelujah. Once again, it just threw the service off track. The preacher lost his place. He went on preaching. A few moments later, he said something the guy really agreed with. The guy said, well, praise the Lord. About that time, that was it. Usher come out, come from the back, walk down front to take care of this rebel rouser. And he come, he said, sir, you're going to have to be quiet. You're disturbing the worship service. The man said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. He said, I just tell you, I'm just so happy. The usher told him, well, you're going to have to be happy somewhere else. The guy said, well, you don't understand, man. I just love Jesus. The usher said, you're going to have to love Jesus somewhere else. The guy said, no, I'm not making myself clear. He said, man, I am just overflowing and, enjoy, and, and, and enraptured with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The usher finally got mad. He said, listen to me, friend. You didn't get him here, so you need to shut up and be quiet. Now, I'm going to tell you, that sounds like a lot of churches today. So many churches today, you know who they remind me of? They remind me of Samson in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Samson? In Judges chapter 16, Delilah, the gal Samson shouldn't have been hanging around with to start, to begin with, she kept questioning, pestering him, wanting to know, where does your great strength come from? So Samson played games with her three times. You know, weave my hair, do this, buy me with new cords, and, and he loved to play games. Finally, she began to cry and hound him and whine and carry on. He couldn't take it anymore. So he told her, he said, here's the truth. He said, I have been a Nazarite. I've been devoted to God since I was born, and a razor has never touched my head. If my head was shaved, I would become weak as any other man. Well, you know the story. He fell asleep. She called in the barber. They cut his locks off. And then in verse 20, or right before verse 20, uh, I think about verse 18 or 19, uh, after she shaved his head, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. In other words, they surrounded you. They're going to attack you. And the Bible says that Samson, it was no big deal. Samson had whipped thousands of them before. He said, okay, I can see him stretching, yawning. He gets up and the Bible says that he said, I'll go out and shake myself as before. In other words, he said, I'll just go out and whip them like I've always done. But then verse 20 says this, Samson was unaware that the Lord had departed from him. Folks, I got to tell you, that's one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. He was unaware that the Lord had departed from him. I want to tell you something. There are many churches today that are unaware. They're just going through the motions. Business as usual. They have no idea the Lord has departed from them. And you know, one of the most fascinating things about a dead church is so often it can look alive on the outside and yet be dead on the inside. Reminds me of the story I heard two little boys. I may have shared this before. They're walking down a country road one day. Two little boys about eight or ten years old and 
about five-foot snakes slithered out the road in front of them. One little boy said to the other one, quick, get your hatchet, kill that snake, chop it. The little boy ran over and he chopped that snake in half. And when he did, both ends, you know, wiggling that snake. First little boy said, hit him again. He ain't dead. So the boy with the hatchet hit him again. Now all three pieces are wiggling. The other boy said, hit him again. He's still alive. The little boy with the hatchet said, no, he ain't. He said, he looks alive, but that snake's dead. He just don't know that he's dead. Well, let me tell you something, folks. There's uh, two very valuable lessons to learn from that simple little story. And here they are. Number one, first of all, a thing can look alive and yet be dead. And number two, a thing can be dead and not know that it's dead. Do you know that you can dress up a dead church and make it look alive? You can. In fact, folks, isn't it interesting that the one time you can always count on somebody being dressed in their best is when they land in a casket? I mean, I'm going to tell you, the one time you can count on a man being dressed to kill is when he's in that coffin. You know, over the years, I've preached lots of funerals in a lot of different places, a lot of country places. And I preached funerals for many people that I knew and knew well. But I got to tell you, there's been times that I have seen the people in that casket, and I did a double take because I was like, who is that? I mean, they had on a new tie, new shirt, new suit. I'm used to seeing them in overalls and blue jeans. I didn't even recognize them. I got to admit, some of those folks look a whole lot better dead than they ever looked alive. Now, here's a point I want to make. Listen to me. You can dress up a church with activities, with programs. Uh, you can pad the pews, carpet the floor, hang chandeliers, put in stained glass windows, and still have a dead church. Now, this is an important point. I need you to hear this. Listen to me. It's not what a church does, but it's what a church is that determines whether or not that church is alive. It's not a church's recreation. It's not a church's reputation. It's a church's relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that determines whether or not that church is alive. Now, the church at Sardis, folks, was a church that was living off of its reputation instead of a thriving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I came across something years ago uh, that I remembered. And I've heard a couple of other pastors use this too, so I'm not the original with it. But I remember reading about uh, uh, the North Star, Polaris, the, the pole star. Now, astronomers tell us that the North Star, the light that comes from a North Star that we see here on Earth, it takes 33 years for that light to go from the star to Earth. 33 years. So, in other words, folks, the light you see, like tonight, if you look at me, you see the North Star. The light you see tonight actually shone 33 years ago. So it's possible that that star, it could fall from its orbit, it could be plunged into total darkness 33 years ago, and yet we could still see the light today. It could be a dead star shining solely by the light of a brilliant past. That was the church at Sardis. It was living off the globe of past reputation that in no way could match the current reality of the church. Now, do you know any churches like that? God help us that we ever become, that we never become a church like that. I want you to say it was a lifeless church. It was also a loveless church. You say, how do you know? Because a dead church, the Spirit of the Lord has departed. And the Bible tells us very clear, folks, that uh, wherever God is, there's going to be love because God is love. Yet a, a dead church loves nothing, feels nothing, experiences nothing. Like a dead person, a dead person, they don't have any emotions. They don't feel anything. Uh, they don't love anybody. 
The Bible says, again, God is love. Yet a dead church, there is no love. I want you to remember this. The church at Ephesus, in, back in chapter 2, you remember Jesus said that they hadn't lost their love. He said, you've left your first love. Well, he didn't even say that about the church at Sardis. They didn't love anyone but themselves. I mean, nothing mattered to them but their reputation. They wanted to make sure, folks, that the community, the denomination, the association, and anyone who was anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ, apparently, anyone who was anybody, they wanted to make sure they thought their church was a great church. Now, this church, folks, it had a sterling reputation, but it didn't match current reality. And because of that, Jesus gives a pretty hard rebuke. Look at verse 2. Third point. Jesus gives some advice. Notice he says, verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, in actuality, what Jesus is telling this church is, he's telling the sleepy to wake up and the lazy and the slothful to get up. Now, there are three kinds of Christians in the church at Sardis. And let me be honest with you. I believe that those three types of Christians, they represent all Christians today in every church across the globe. First of all, there were dead Christians. And Jesus tells them, be watchful. If you have a translation other than the King James, it will say, be awake or wake up, exclamation point. That's actually what that means. Jesus says, wake up. The dead Christians. Then there was the dying Christians. So he says to them, strengthen the things that remain. That is, Jesus was saying, you're not dead yet, but you're close. You're on your way. So what you need to do is get with the program. You need to begin doing something that's productive for the kingdom. And then the third type of Christian is the dedicated Christian. And he's going to address them in verses 4 and 5. We'll get to it in just a moment. But Jesus has three pieces of advice to give to this dead church. He gives a recipe for revival. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. Actually, it's going to sound pretty familiar. Because the first thing Jesus does, look at verse 3. He says, there must be a remembrance of the past. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. This church at Sardis, apparently, they had once been a great organism. Now there wasn't nothing more than a stale organization. Again, just going through the motions to protect their reputation. Jesus says, what you need to do is go back to your past. Remember how it was when you were on fire for God. You know, Jesus knew something that it took uh, psychiatrists and psychologists more than 2,000 years to figure out. You say, what was that? Well, Jesus knew that memory is a very powerful thing. So he tells them, remember, go back and remember. Once before, uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember what Jesus tells them? He said, remember from whence thou fallest. Now think about this. Whenever a psychiatrist or a sociologist or, or one of those counselors, they're trying to deal with a person's emotional problems, one of the things they'll get that person to do is to talk about their family, talk about their childhood. Now, what they're doing, they're trying to draw out from that person's memory or that person's past something that will help them to discover why that person is the way they are and why they have the problems that they have. Well, friend, Jesus, knowing what a powerful tool memory is, he says to this church at Sardis, he says, remember your past. In other words, Jesus says, go back to when you were actually earning that reputation of being a great church, a church that was on fire for God, a church that was not just smoke, but was a hot burning flame. He says there must be that remembrance of the past. But the second thing he says, not only remembrance of the past, but it has to be repentance for the present. Because look at verse 3. Next thing Jesus says is hold fast and repent. Now, folks, it's uh, interesting 
It's an interesting thing to me that any time in these letters that Jesus has a word of criticism for the church, he always gives as part of the remedy, repent. Repent. John Stott, the great renowned English theologian, once said the shortest road to repentance is remembrance. Now, I agree with that, but I'd also like to say this. The only road to revival is repentance. Whether it be your life or in the church or a, a nation or around the world, the only hope for revival, it must be repentance. Understand repentance is not merely knowing or understanding there's a problem or even being sorry about the problem, folks. Repentance is turning from the problem and turning to the solution. Repentance is not just being broken in your sin. It's about being broken from your sin. And Jesus is saying to this dead church, and let me put it in modern English what he's saying, uh, Eastern Oklahoma English, he's saying, don't sit there mourning that corpse. Get down on your knees before God. Repent and ask God to raise that corpse from the dead. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've become convinced in recent years. I've become convinced. Believe it or not, there is always hope for a dead church. If people are willing to humble themselves, get on their face before God, repent of their sins, there's hope for a dead church. Because I'm going to tell you something. If God could raise Jesus Christ from the dead and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I assure you the Holy Spirit of God can raise a church from the dead. It has to be the remembrance of the past. Uh, repentance in the, in the present. But here's the third thing. Look at verse 3. He says, get ready for the future. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you're not going to wake up, I'll come upon you as a thief, and you'll not know what hour I will come upon you. When the church remembers and repents, folks, it's going to be revived. But repentance is always the key uh, in, in this link, in this chain. It has to be repentance. One man said this. He said, true repentance has a double aspect. It looks upon things past with a weeping eye, and it looks upon things future with a watchful eye. I'm going to tell you, a revived church is a church that is watching, working, and waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. With great anticipation and great vigor, they're working, watching, and waiting for Jesus to come again. And that church is not going to be overtaken by, as by a thief in the night. Now, I want you to see the final point. It's the remnant, steadfast remnant that's within the church. Look at verse 4. I told you before, God always has his faithful few, his remnant. Even in this dead church at Sardis, there were a few brimming with spiritual life. Again, look at verse 4. He says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. This church didn't have a moral majority, but thank God they had the master's minority. I believe this faithful remnant he's talking about, they were like Gideon's 300. This faithful remnant, they were like the three Hebrew boys who were thrown in the fire because they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they wouldn't budge. I'll tell you something, folks. If God sends revival to a church or to a nation, it will not be through a moral majority. It will be through a faithful few. It's the master's minority that God uses to keep that fire burning, to keep the sparks flying, and to send revival if he sends revival at all. Just a faithful few. They were also, they were a virtuous, rem, virtuous remnant. Because look at verse 4. These people were those who, he said, not defile their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now white in the Bible, that's the color that symbolizes purity. I think you understand that. Especially in the book of the Revelation. Because think about it. We read about a white stone, white cloud, white horses. And later on we're going to study about a great white throne. The color white represents purity and cleanliness. 
Just like today, a virgin bride wears white to symbolize her purity. Well, there were people in Sardis who had kept themselves pure. They had kept themselves holy. They had kept their light burning brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. They had kept their fire hot for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they had kept themselves pure, the Bible says, Jesus says, they're going to be clothed in purity. Now, why is that? Because purity, folks, not only desires purity, but purity deserves purity. If you're not married, I want you to keep that statement in mind. You say, I don't really know what it means, preacher. Then come see me after we dismiss. Now, this remnant of Sardis, it was, it was just a few people. It's what Jesus said in the wording that's used. It was just a few. So, folks, they were probably not influential. Most of them in Sardis, this faithful few, this remnant of gods, they were not deacons or Sunday school teachers or serve on staff. They were probably not pillars and leaders of the church. They were a few. A few people who had maintained their walk with God. They had maintained being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And they were madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the faithful few, they were the ones who didn't give one thin silver dime about reputation because they understood the reality of the church. And they were praying for their church, praying for revival to take place. Many churches today, they don't pray for revival. You know why? Because they don't see the reality that they're facing. Many churches today refuse to do what it takes to reach people with the gospel. Why? Because they don't see the reality that they're in, the shape that they're in, and they have no idea what the future holds. John Wesley, I'm telling you, a faithful few can make all the difference. John Wesley was a man that said, give me a hundred men who hate nothing but sin and love no one or nothing more than Jesus Christ. He said, I'll turn this world upside down for the kingdom of God. A faithful few. They were also victorious. Look at verse 5. He who overcomes the same should be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name uh, out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Do you understand exactly what Jesus is saying here? You remember uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. This here in Revelation is a fulfillment of that promise. Now, let me explain it to you, Christian. One of these days, those of us who overcome, who remain faithful and true to Jesus Christ, we're going to be taken by the hand of the Lord Jesus himself, and we're going to be led past all the marshaled ranks of the angels as they line the golden streets of glory. And we're going to be led up to the very throne of God itself. And before all these myriads of angels, uh, seraphims and cherubims, before all the tribes and the nations on earth, Jesus is going to introduce each of us, one by one, name by name, and he's going to say, Father, this is your faithful servant. Servant, And like another father that we read about in the book of Luke, God's going to say, bring out the best robe. And he's going to put that robe around us. He's going to say, this is my child. I'm pleased with him. My faithful servant. Put that robe around him. And friend, it's going to be a robe just like the one that Jesus is wearing. Because we're going to be just like Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Christian. I want you to know I would not trade that for all the silver, gold, riches, fortune, fame, reputation that this world can give. It pays to serve Jesus. pays every step of the way. It pays in riches foretold, yet riches untold that are going to come to the person who will remain faithful, true, pure, and hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to close right here. 
I pray as pastor of this church, they're just never said about Southside that, well, that church over there is not living. They're just existing on a past reputation. My prayer is it's never said that we have a name, that we're alive, but in reality, we're dead. Now, let me tell you something. It will be said of us, and it will happen. If we ever allow anything or anyone to take first place in the church, that belongs to Jesus Christ. Our love, our devotion, our service is to Christ first and Christ alone. If we ever, ever disregard that, we will become a shell. We will start living off a past reputation instead of current reality. Now, let me ask you this, Christian. And I've been talking to Christians this morning, mostly to to the church home folks here at Southside. But if you're a believer, this applies to you as well. Doesn't matter what church you go to. Let me ask you, which of those three Christians are you that I mentioned a while ago? That were in Sardis. They represent all Christians today. Are you a dead Christian? I mean, you're doing nothing at all. You're just taking up space. Well, let me tell you what you do. Wake up and repent. You need to be at this altar in just a few minutes. You need to repent. Maybe you're not a dead Christian. You're a dying Christian. You're not dead, but you're getting close. Your heart's starting to flutter a little bit. Then strengthen what remains. In other words... Repent. Be at this altar in a few minutes and repent. And begin to be useful for the cause of Christ again. And maybe maybe you're part of the faithful few. You're part of the remnant, the dedicated. You're dedicated sold out to Jesus Christ. If that's so, then God bless you. You keep doing what you're doing. You stay pure. You stay holy. You stay true and faithful to Jesus Christ. Because the rewards are beyond our comprehension. You bow your heads, please. In just a moment, Brother Aud will lead us in a song of invitation. I'll be right down front. You need to come and rededicate your life this morning. You need to wake up. Or you need to be re-energized. Or maybe you have no relationship with God because you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts at. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe maybe you need to be baptized. You're saved. You've given your life to Christ, but you've never been obedient in baptism. Well, just come forward and let me know. Whatever decision you need to make, I'm always going to give you the opportunity to make it, and here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to get real and to get right with God this morning. Father, thank you for your patience and your love. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray that it would burn into our hearts that we would understand that we are your children. We belong to you. We have been born again. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we're to be faithful, we're to be true, pure, and holy to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that each person here this morning can say that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please?